thank you for the invitation to be here this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. It's good to connect with uh, Adam again after a few years, and John after many years, so it's great to be here. Thank you, and it's good to come from the south side to the dark side, and uh, it was good to be here, so I appreciate that. I will take you up with an offer for, if I can remember how old I am, I'll take you up with the offer for dinner sometime. Hey, it's great to be here. Let me commend you on, on uh, the work you're doing of justice, of making a difference for the kingdom of God in people's lives around the world that does make a difference. And those organisations you partner with are making them doing great stuff and uh, you're part of that. So well done for doing that. I want to share a little bit about that um, today. I have a, um, a folder in my iPad which is just entitled Help Me Understand. And it's got little quirky things that make me curious ask questions and um, kind of provoke me with anomalies that I'm not sure how they are. So I want to share a couple with you this morning before I talk about that because God's heart for justice is one of those anomalies. Why doesn't he just, you know, deal with the people who want to know him and, and love him and come to church and stuff? Why does God want us to reach out beyond this? But help me understand. Help me understand why that word is pronounced kinwa. Can you help me do that? That's if a lady has five kids at once, they're called queens, not kings. I remember once being on the, on the Sunshine Coast, a big organic food store up there, and I like to embarrass my wife sometimes. And we're in this food store, and uh, so a lot of people around. And I said, "Honey, I've just found the quinoa." And she was mortified and really embarrassed, etc. So I don't understand. Help me understand why jeans with holes in the knees cost more than jeans without holes in the knees. You understand that? I don't get that. My, my kids, my daughters particularly, got jeans with holes in the knees. It's pretty cool, I think, but uh, why would you pay 100 bucks for that? $39 in Target, no holes in the knees at all. That is, uh, it's good. Help me understand when, a set, when optional laws became essential. Now they're essential, right? I used to get a headache and I would, uh, you know, take a Panadol and an hour later the headache's gone. And now I get a headache and my wife will give me a little dab of oil 489 or something and put it on my temple and then I'll take a Panadol and the headache's gone. But, uh, no, they, they help me understand. Help me understand God's heart for justice. It's an extraordinary heart where God reaches out to the, to the poor and the broken and the disenfranchised and the vulnerable. Help me understand that because when we do, it makes a difference. I want to call up, what's God's heart for, for justice today? And I want to take a little bit further and ask, what's God's scandal's heart? Because it's a scandal how God loves us and cares for people. You know, the, the dictionary defines a scandal this way, an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. It's a scandal. And before we understand God's heart for the poor and the broken and the lost, you've got to understand hearts for us because his heart for us because otherwise caring for the poor becomes, uh, you know, a kind of duty or just a humanitarian option or whatever, which is bad, but it's so much more if we understand God's heart for us. So much more. And 
and it's a scandal to them. And why I say that is because it's so contrary to the, you know, the mores or the cultural values that we often hold dear, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, or you get what you pay for, or you get what you deserve. That's kind of the, the normal, moral, if you like, legal culture that we live in. Jesus' culture went far beyond that. It's a heart, so I call it, a scandal. It's important that we understand that. And it's a scandal on many fronts that we need to understand. It's a scandal on many, many fronts. It's a scandal, for example, of provision. What does God provide for us? Now I want to read from Scripture to you from this morning in the book of Ephesians. And you know Ephesians 2 is that passage that talks about grace. By grace you can save through faith. It's not of your own works. It's what God has done so that we can't boast. But before we even get to Ephesians 2, you get Ephesians 1, where the Apostle Paul pours out some of the benefits of, of what God has done in us if we come to faith in Jesus. What that means for us. We need to understand this scandal of grace. It's a scandal of provision. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished, look at that word, lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Just a couple more verses. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We don't always understand what God has done for us. And in this passage, before he even gets to the grace bit, he shows us and tells us what's happened to those of us who follow him. What we have as his provision. He just says some very clear things. He says you've been chosen before the creation of the world. No, sorry, it's first you have every spiritual blessing. In Christ. In other words, God has given you everything you need to live in accordance with His will the way He wants you to. You've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if that's true, here's the question you've got to answer. If I have every spiritual blessing in Christ, what spiritual blessing do I not have? Every is everything. That's God has given you. You don't deserve that, you haven't earned that. He's just given that to you. He says you've been chosen before the creation of the world. From the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, if you like, God chose you. In other words, before you, before the, the road that you drove on over the earth that was created, that you drove to get here this morning, before that was created, God had you in his mind. 
that's extraordinary. It goes on to say you've been redeemed through his blood. What that means is each one of us has gone our own way, done our own thing, been our own boss, paid our own price. But then God paid a different price, a redemption price, and brought us back into a relationship with him. You've been redeemed, he says. He says you have, God has shown us the mystery of his will with his good pleasure. Now I'm not pretending it's sometimes tricky to find out God's will. Sometimes we get so preoccupied and busy that we kind of miss it. But it says the mystery of his will is open to us. And he finally says in that passage, you've been sealed with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us as a deposit to guarantee our eternal security. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. We just say that. See, they're just the provision that God has given to those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, that's what God has in store for you. It's an outrage, it's a scandal because you didn't own it, earn it, you didn't deserve it, you didn't merit it, you can't buy it. It's a scandal of grace. God's provision for you. But it's not just a scandal of provision, it's a scandal of forgiveness. God has given you his forgiveness. Open up his life to you. Open up who he is. That's an outrageous scandal as well. You don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the natural law. There's a supernatural law in place here. Scandal of forgiveness. I want to show you a photo. As Adam told you before, I work for Compassion for 12, 12 years, 10 years to see you. And uh, one day I was on our way back with a team from Rwanda to the airport on the way we stopped in at this little Anglican service. Probably one of the most amazing church services I've ever been in. Not because it was spectacular, but because of what happened in the service. And uh, service went on as normal and we sang a few songs and some announcements like we had today. And it was the week before the 20th commemoration of the Rwandan genocide. So 2014, which is 94, was it? Where almost a million people were slaughtered in a tribal war in 100 days. And we're in the middle of a service, and Pastor Francis, who was an old packed pastor in the Anglican Church there, and he was a lovely old man, he said before the service on a meeting, I said, Would you be, he said to me, Would you be willing to read the scriptures and, and then also introduce your team, which I did, came that time. And, I sat down again, and then Pastor Francis said this, today we're going to pray for Christopher and his wife Christina. That's Christopher. Christopher was the sound man. He was over to the side over there somewhere with a four-channel mixer connected to a car battery. He was organising the sound that day. He said, today we're going to pray for Christopher and Christina because this past week, the man who executed and slaughtered Christina's parents 20 years ago actually confessed and told authorities where he buried the bodies. And so we're going, he buried them in the bottom of a pit latrine, just a hole, toilet in the ground. And he said, this Thursday we're going as a whole church to dig up the, bottom, the remains of her parents and give them a proper burial. He said, we want you to come with us. Then he said to me, we're going to pray for Christopher. He said, Tim, would, would you come and help me pray for Christopher? That's where I broke I just lost him. I was already weeping in front of the, front of the church. We were standing in the front together and 
Fortunately, he prayed because I couldn't have him, so I just stood there with Christopher and Pastor Francis and did that thing you're not supposed to do when you pray and open my eyes. There's tears are streaming down Christopher's face and tears are streaming down my face. As this week we were going with him and his wife to pick up the remains of his wife's parents who'd been buried and thrown down the tree 20 years previously. Service finished, and I found that backstory. And the backstory for this couple was that Christopher was from the Hutu tribe, who were the perpetrators of much of the violence in that time. And Christina was part of the Tutsi tribe, so before they even got together, married for 10 years, before they even got together, they've had to work through this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness. Because somebody from your tribe swore my parents. See, forgiveness is a huge thing. God has given that to us. It's a huge thing for us. And it's a huge thing between us. It's really important. It's a scandal that God's given us forgiveness. But sometimes when it comes to forgiveness, we just think that as believers, that forgiveness is a simple thing. It's just a one-dimensional thing. I just choose to forgive someone. Somebody wrongs me, I just choose to forgive them and, and that's it. And then we wonder why the next time we see that person or we hear that person's name, we bristle. And we realise oh, there's something more to this and it's because forgiveness isn't just a simple thing. It's not just an immediate thing. There's two sides to forgiveness. One is immediate, that you make a choice. But the second one is, takes time and is surrendering the right to get even. That's what forgiveness is. And here's what's going to sound a little unchristian to us, because before you surrender the right to get even, you have to claim the right to get even. You can't surrender something you haven't got. But we surrender the right to get even. You see, natural justice is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Something wrongs you, you're wrong back. That's natural justice, but supernatural forgiveness much more than that. It's to surrender the right to get even, and that's the way Jesus forgives you. He chose to forgive you, but he surrendered the right to get even. You have a scandal of provision, you have a scandal of forgiveness, but you have a scandal of life itself. God has given you life you don't deserve. You don't deserve that. Let me read some scriptures. Just a few scriptures together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working those who were disobedient. You were dead. The Bible doesn't say you were guilty in your sins and you're forgiven. It says you were dead and now you're alive. It's more than just forgiveness, it's life. You've been given life in its fullness. We read again, Paul writes to the Roman church, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we be united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, don't, we mustn't just act as believers as if we're forgiven. That's great. We must act like we've got life in its fullness. I don't know about you, but I... I see a lot of people who are followers of Jesus who kind of look like they've been baptized in vinegar. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, yeah, we're a Christian, but, you know, that's, we're terrible, we're horrible, people don't like us. No, you've got life. 
says to the Colossian church, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with you, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So having forgiven you, he's now made you alive. That's who you are. And perhaps the most outrageous scripture about that I know comes from Paul writes to the Corinthian church in the second letter, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's an outrageous scripture. Extraordinary. Jesus didn't just come to change your life. He does that, but there's a lot of things that will change your life. You get a really bad diagnosis or a health prognosis, it'll change your life. You move to another country, you won't do that alone, but you move to another country, it'll change your life. You win the lottery, it'll probably change your life to some degree. But Jesus didn't come just to change your life, he came to exchange your life for his. He who had no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an extraordinary thing. Jesus didn't just hang on a cross and have the sins of the world on his shoulders. He became sin. He didn't just carry it, he became it. He's given you life to the full. He's given you a scandal of provision, a scandal of forgiveness, and a scandal of life itself. You, that's outrageous. You don't deserve that. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. But it's yours and mine as we follow Jesus. That's the scandal of grace. But here's the question we're asking, really. It's the question the old philosopher Francis Schaeffer asked. If that is true, and it is, how then should we live? How should we live? How should we act? If we have been given all of that in God, what's for us? I love your state life for others. What a great state. Can't just be for us. It's got to be for others. How should we then live? And it's something that you can read through the Old Testament and the New Testament many times over and find time and time again where God has said something in that space. I just want to use one look at the Old Testament and you as we close. Then I put the scripture up earlier where the people of God have been asking, you know, God, they go out in and out of this relationship with God, they have great times and real prosperity and hope and all of those things, and then they go into a, into a hole and fall away and get caught up in all sorts of idolatry and, and stuff, and they come good again, and they go out of it and time in Scripture in the Old Testament where the people of God ask, what do we have to do? What do you require of us? And the prophet Micah is, you know, there at the time and they come to Micah and say, what do we do? Do we, you know, we give barrels of oil? Is that the sacrifice we've got to make to get back to God? Is, is that what we've got to do? Or do we have to, do we even have to, you know, sacrifice our children if they ask in that passage of Scripture? And Micah just brings them down and sort of focuses in and says, What shall I they say, what shall we come before the Lord and bear down before the exalted God? Shall we come with 
you know, 10,000 rivers of oil. You know, I offer my firstborn for my transgression. Adam showed the scripture earlier. He has shown you that man is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. To do justice. It's not something you talk about or just alone. To do justice. Two words that the Old Testament uses. The word is cheser. It looks like cheese. It's cheser. It means unconditional grace and compassion. And the other word in that, in that passage is mishpat, which is justice. They're, they're kind of two sides of the same thing. So when Micah answers the question, he says, "What well, really to walk humbly with God is to do justice and merciful grace and love. That's what that means. To do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God is to do justice out of merciful grace and love, not just out of a cold sense of duty. Not just because it's a good thing to do, but because the God of creation and redemption has changed your life and you can't not do nothing. Can't do nothing. It's a triple thing. And 200 plus times you read this word, misfat, justice, justice, justice in the Old Testament. And the most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. To treat people well. And when you look at where it's used, it's often used with what theologians call the quartet of the vulnerable. Four groups of people come up all the time. Widows, orphans, immigrants and the poor. Widows, orphans, foreigners and poor. You can read many scriptures, but just in Zechariah, for example, it says this, Do not oppress the widow, or the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly they turned their backs and covered their ears. It's because those four groups of people in an agrarian society that they lived in had no net, no, no way of support, no social power. Only days away from starvation, each one of those groups, unless they were given help and support. They were incredible victims in their society. And God is often introduced in the Old Testament as the father of the fatherless, the defender of the widow. So he actually picks up this quartet of the vulnerable and reaches out beyond to them to bring them back to a place of hope, freedom and life and forgiveness and provision that he provides. That's how that happens. It's a, it was a scandalous thought because in the Old, in the old Testament particularly, it was thought that in the many gods that were around the place, the, the people God spoke to were the, the big name people. They were the rulers and the kings and the priests and the military generals. And now in the scandalous life, God is saying, I want to bring hope and future to the lost and the broken and the poor and the needy. But I want to move to the final kind of thought in the New Testament 
working together in a small group, any sort of small group. Any sort of naughty evangelism, Bible study, or a serving group, whatever. I want to imagine that you go to a small group and in your small group, as you're sitting around talking, just imagine in walks Jesus in person. Because that happened in a small group one day. It was quite a large small group. It was a synagogue group, which is generally about ten families of Jewish people. The synagogues began when the people of God were in exile and just to keep them on track and to keep them remembered in memory of God and who he was and how we sing together and pray together. They formed these groups in other countries of, of synagogues and then when they came back, cloud back into Israel again, they, they kept them going. And one day this group was meeting in his hometown, synagogue, small group, big small group, but a small group. And Jesus walked in. And he wanted to read the scriptures. Jesus walked into my small group and said, Can I have a Bible? We'd all be falling over ourselves to give it to him. Read mine, read mine. But there's a, there's a, there's a scroll, there's a scroll of Isaiah, and when he gets given the scroll of Isaiah, he's, he's not told where to read from. It wasn't a lexicon that he was picking up. He could have read from anywhere. Big book, big scroll, scroll of Isaiah. And if that had to be me, there's some certain places in that scroll I would have gone to. I might have gone to what we now know as Isaiah 11, which wasn't Isaiah 11 in those days, but we put the numbers in. Which says, you know, from the root of Jesse will come summoning of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of power and the spirit of understanding. And if I was Jesus, I'd be tempted to beat my chest and go, that's me, folks. You've got to understand that. Or I might have gone somewhere a little later on in the scroll and, you know, what's now become Isaiah 43, you know, or I've redeemed you, I've called you my name, child, you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I'll be with you, you won't get flooded. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you, you won't get burned. Now I'm tempted to say, that's me, you stick with me and I'll stick with you and we'll be, we'll be fine together a little later on in that same chapter. You know. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm coming to bring a new thing to you. Do you not see it? It's a stream in the desert. It's, it's a you know, path in the desert and the, and the stream to the wilderness. I'm tempted to say, guys, that's me, let's link arms and take the hill, but he doesn't read any of those passages. He thumbs through the scroll, gets towards the end. And he just picks out two verses. Two verses that we know very well, that are repeated again in the New Testament in, in Luke's Gospel. And he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Send me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he puts, rolls up the scroll and gives them back. I think it's a bit of disappointment that Jesus didn't read more. It's almost as if you imagine people in the front of the group marching, tell them what they're going to do. And it's almost as if Jesus picks it up, stands up again, and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And by implication, if you're going to be a follower of me, you better pick it up as well. So he's saying, that's what I'm about. Bringing good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom from the oppressed. And if you're going to follow me, you better be about that as well. 
That's what you should be about. That's the difference you can make. It's no use reading about grace, talking about grace, academically, theologically discussing grace, unless you pick it up and do it. It becomes justice to those who are broken. It's no use having an academic discussion about it without picking it up and doing it. Being encouraged as you do. You can make a difference. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something when it comes to justice, when it comes to impact, when it comes to taking what God has given us and bringing it to those who are broken, lost, poor, disenfranchised. God can do amazing things through us. Trust him. I want to finish this with one story. It's a great story. Not surprisingly, it's a compassionate story. The guy on, on my right, your left, I think, up there on the screen is a guy called Ringy Paul. I can tell you the story of both these people. I've seen it in London also. The story of Ringy Paul. Ringy Paul. Ringy was born as an albino in London. So he's, you know, from African nation, but he was born white. And as such, there's an enormous stigma to that. When he was born, his father thought his wife, his wife had been unfaithful, so he left her straight away because she had this white child. And uh, so Remy grew up in his family with a single mum and was very poor and you know, struggled with the stigma of all that. So there's a huge stigma, even a demonic stigma in that, in that culture. So Remy started, you know, three or four year old, starting living under this sort of oppression himself. As a five year old, he was sponsored, like many of you have done with kids in Northern Thailand. He was sponsored by somebody on the other side of the world who kind of cared for him through school years, but he, he still lived with a stigma. In fact, when Remy got to high school, he was still under this incredible oppression. Even though he sponsored a sponsored child. And at one point in time, he turned to drugs. At one point in time, he considered taking his own life. But as a 13-year-old, he was really ministered to by the local church. A little church that was close, you know, a church in Rwanda, which is like a church, not this any church. Was feeding him that be in the church. They got alongside him. People in that church, two or three people in that church, really got alongside, supported him, and encouraged him. He put his head down, his tail up, got through his school really well, was sponsored in the university, studied well, well, and hard. Remy now is a clinical psychologist in Rwanda. He works with the government on a program working with 500 Albino Rwandans like him to give them hope and purpose. You have no idea what happens when you reach out to the broken, the needy, the poor and the lost. God can do extraordinary things when we understand his heart for justice. His heart for the brokenness comes out. His heart for you and me and makes it let me commend to you all you're doing. Continue to make a difference. Continue to hear the words of Jesus resonate. Come to bring good news to the poor. Freedom to the oppressed. Come inside to the blind. 
Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your scandalous grace in us. May we never take that for granted. May we see you working extraordinarily to bring that to be. Lord, that's a, that is a scandal. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But Father, out of that for us, you cause us to reflect that same heart to others, to bring Jesus to others. You cause us to get involved in those around us who are broken, who are hurting, who are lost, who are disenfranchised. Father, you cause us to make that difference. May you work in us to work in your world in ways that astound us and make such an extraordinary difference. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way you are using them already. Continue to do so more and more to see lives change.